Well, that's uh, my wife, Jennifer, and uh, about 1020, um, our daughter, Shiloh, who, who is learning how to potty train, peed all over the bathroom floor. So for Jennifer to actually be here and have energy and do something, let's give her a hand. And we do want to encourage you to just go ahead and uh, fill out uh, that yellow sheet uh, while I'm going through, and you can put it in the program uh, while we go by. At the beginning of the year, some of you might have remembered that we had a teaching series in which um, I talked about a plan called the 111 plan. And uh, the 111 plan, it'll come up here on the side screen. Is basically where you think of one person who is disconnected from Christ or the church, and you pray for that person for one minute uh, each day at one o'clock. And so we started this in January, and uh, we've seen dozens and dozens of people who have come to Christ uh, because of that. And uh, this morning, I want you to hear. Uh, one of those stories uh, from Jip Baker, who has a friend that he started praying for, uh, for one minute each day at one o'clock each afternoon, and uh, Jib's going to kind of share that. So if you would, uh, why don't you also give a hand for Jib uh, for sharing his story. Well, Jib, I know you've kind of seen the power of uh, our 111 program actually take place with one of your uh, friends named Matt, and uh, I wondered if you could just share with us a little bit, before you started praying for him, uh, what was your relationship uh, like with Matt? Well, Matt and I uh, met in graduate school um, down in Bloomington, Indiana, and um, we became friends really quickly. Uh, He and I both liked to hunt and fish and enjoy the outdoors, and so we started spending a lot of time uh, together outside of graduate school. That was a good stress reliever from, from those kinds of activities. And uh, it was a good distraction. And, and um, besides that, you know, he was, a, he was a really fun guy, but he had actually given up drinking a few years before that. Um, and for me, Bloomington was the time when I decided to start my career in drinking. <laughs> So and, uh, that's when your party started, as his was kind of. It, it did, out. and um, Matt was a fun guy, and he was still, even though he didn't drink, the life of the party and fun to be around. Nice guy, and and also my designated driver, and um, he got to watch me make a make a fool out of myself many times. Um, we we stayed, hung out a lot, and um, I got married eventually, and we continued to hang out and and do different things together. Um, Matt, on the other hand, was, was a confirmed bachelor. He, uh, he'd been burned in the past in his mind from women and, and was kind of uh, just wanted to stay single um, and concentrate on his dogs and things like that. And, um, you know, as far as his faith perspective, it kind of had a similar experience. He had a lot of legalism uh, in his past and really wasn't interested in church or religion or anything like that. So you kind of have this uh, friendship partying, hanging out, hunting, fishing, all that kind of stuff. And I know a few years ago, uh, you hit like a real valley uh, in your life. And as you started kind of climbing up, 
and asking God and praying that God would work in your life, you actually did a really cool thing, and that is you started praying for Matt uh, for uh, this one minute each day. And can you kind of talk a little bit about what's transpired uh, from that? Yeah, I, uh, a few years ago I was dealing with the pain of alcoholism, and it destroyed my, my life, my health, my family, and my marriage. And, and at that time I finally turned everything over to God and, and saw everything over, with time come back together. And with this 111 plan that, um, that you introduced, and uh, Matt's name and face just came into my, my head. He's such a neat guy, made friends quickly, and, and he was one person in my life that I didn't want to go to heaven without. And um, so I started praying for him, and one day we were at a, a cookout at his house and started talking about church. It was a Saturday, and I had been making sure I went to church every Sunday and uh, said I was going to go home unless he wanted to go to church with me. Then I'd join him with church down there somewhere. And I was surprised because after several times of, of just inviting him to church and it just being dismissed quickly, he actually accepted the invitation. And so a lot of no's. No, 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 no. And then finally the day came and uh, he said yes. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and then it was soon after that he started dating a Christian woman, uh, started going to church with her consistently, and and um, I could tell that that God was becoming part of his life. Uh, so, so after some time, I I asked him. I I said, "Are you buying into this Jesus thing?" Because I knew church was one thing, but but really following Jesus and having him part of your life was was what it took. And and he said he had bought in hook, line, and sinker. And um, so I really believe that that with this program, God God can put somebody on your heart and and use those prayers consistent prayers, and, um, and we can see changed lives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jed, thanks so much for uh, sharing a story about Matt, and uh, it's such a joy to have you uh, and your family and to see what God's done as you've kind of uh, turned all of your life over to him. Let's, uh, let's give Jib a hand. Well, starting uh, on September 16th, we're actually going to um, have a teaching series called Walk Across the Room. And the reality is, if you uh, heard Jib's story, he simply kind of walked across the room and he connected with a friend. And as he took that walk more and more, he found that his friend's life became changed as he developed a friendship and uh, shared his story. And the cool thing about Walk Across the Room is that for these four weeks, starting on September 16th, upstairs we're going to have from 9 to 10 kind of a uh, teaching time uh, and a small group time where people can learn uh, how to do that. And so my challenge for you today is to think of one person, and during that series we'll challenge all of you to think of one person that you can be praying for, and uh, investing in and to see their life change maybe for eternity, uh, just like uh, Matt's life was. At this time, I'll invite the uh, greeters to come on forward. And uh, if you would, as the offering bag goes by, uh, just put that yellow slip in uh, for the survey and uh, also your Connect card. And if you're visiting with us for the very first time, 
uh, we just want to encourage you uh, not to worry about giving any money whatsoever. We want to get to know you. And for those of us that call this our church home and uh, we've, we're growing together, uh, we want you to give generously um, because we serve such a generous God. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for uh, Jib's story about his friend Matt. And I think that's what's going to be so cool about heaven one day, God, is that it won't be all the streets of gold and all that kind of stuff and no worries, although all those things will be great. But really what's going to be cool is when God says, uh, look behind you and look at the lives that you've impacted. And in the midst of that, God, we would see many lives of people who we've just reached out and shown your love to. And God, we want to walk across uh, rooms uh, and show your love to people. So help us this week to be your hands and feet to the people around us. Help us to step out in uh, faith to reach out. And in the same way, just as we step out in faith as a church in October, God, we pray already that you would go before us as we go to two celebrations, that, God, you would see many lives changed uh, through your power. And, God, we pray now for the offering that we're going to receive today. God, we ask that it would touch many lives in our community. There are many hurting people. There are people who are uh, struggling with many things, God. And as we give, God, um, we're able to use those resources to change lives. So, God, bless each person who gives of their uh, resources this morning. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would move in our midst, that you would encourage us, those of us who feel discouraged this morning, that you would convict us, those of us who are just kind of drifting through, and that you would challenge all of us, God, to know how to run the race of life in a way in which we increase our faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the uh, past month, we have been glued. In fact, the entire world has been glued to one event that has been on television. And uh, I just wondered if you could guess what that event was. Anybody want to take a guess? Somebody said the Little League World Series. No. It was the Olympics. You know, I mean, once Newcastle went out, who cares, right? But it's the Olympics. And I think the reason why we love the Olympics so much is because we love to see people win. We love to see people excel. We love to watch them win. We love to watch winners. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which is in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, there's a guy by the name of Paul who writes, and he actually writes using an athletic metaphor. He talks about uh, the Corinthian games, actually. And uh, he uses a metaphor in referring uh, to these games. Now, the Corinthian games were kind of second to the Olympics. It would be like the World Championships today or the Pan American Games. Not quite the Olympics, but was important games. And so he writes to the Corinthians, these people who lived in Greece, and they understood what athletes were like. 
Now, I did a little research this week, and this is some of the events that were in the Corinthian games. There was running, leaping, spear-throwing, boxing, wrestling, chariot racing, and running at people with armor on horses. That's me. Don't I look like a stud? Like, I was thinking about all those things. Like, if I wouldn't want to run. I wouldn't want to be the person that was jousting, you know, being, being that guy. And everyone who participated uh, in these games, they committed to an oath. And this was the oath that they took. I train for at least ten months, and I will not resort to unfair tricks. I guess they didn't have steroids then, you know? Uh, otherwise, they probably would use those. Now, there were many, many benefits if you won the Olympics back in that day. First of all, your name and your hometown would be shouted out, and you would be awarded a wreath to put around your head. Then they would give this triumphal parade just in honor of you. You would be given 500 drachmas of money, which drachmas in Greece today mean nothing because Greece's finances are so messed up. But back in that day, it literally was two years of salary. So two years of your salary taken care of. You would be given the right to sit in a place of honor at every Olympic game after that. And then here's the clincher. If you won the Olympics, but then you also won the Corinthian Games, this is what would happen. Your children would receive free education for the rest of their lives. You would be exempt from military duty for the rest of your life. And this is the topper. You would never have to pay taxes again for the rest of your life. I mean, everybody would have signed up, right? I mean, you would have figured some way to do that. Well, Paul gives this athletic kind of illustration, and he compares it to the Christian life. And he says that if you want to be successful in life, there are four principles that you have to look at. And here's the first one. That if you want to win in life, to be successful in life, it takes desire. It takes desire. I must want to win. I must want to win. If I want to make my life count, I have to want to win. If I want to succeed, I have to have some desire. I don't know about you, but I've watched a lot of interviews over the Olympics, and there are all kinds of stories. But the thing that I found in every single story, regardless of what country the person uh, was from, they all had one thing in common. They had one theme, and it was this. They all had a desire to excel. They all had a desire to excel. Whatever event that they had, they had a passion for it. They lived it. They would eat it. They would talk about it. They would sleep it. 
They would wake up to it. They lived whatever event they were in with their fullest passion. While Jennifer and I were in Kenya, we went to where the Kenyans run. And when I got there, I thought, maybe I could be an Olympian. Hey, why are you laughing? You know, that's kind of painful here. And when I got there, I uh, asked them, well, how do you guys train? And they just said this. They said, they run, they eat, they sleep. Nothing else. That's all the Kenyans do. That's why they've won marathons for years and years and other running events. They run, they eat, they sleep. Jennifer and I uh, saw an Argentinian who was uh, actually training up in this camp. It was a female marathon runner. She was down on her back, taking it easy, watching, you know, uh, television, having a good old time. She ran the marathon. Guess what place she came in? 82nd! 82nd. And so they just live it. And all of these Olympians, the top ones, they live it because they want to excel. They have passion. I want to ask you this morning, what are you passionate about? They're passionate about running other things. What about you? What are you passionate about? What is it that motivates you to get out of bed in the morning? Because, folks, if you want to impact your world, if you want to impact your, your, your life, if you want your life to be filled with impact, if you want to impact your family, if you want to impact your work, if you want to impact your world, you have to be passionate, a person of passion. You have to have desire. Now Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, was a passionate person. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In fact, uh, or chapter uh, 9, verse 24. Let's read it together. It'll come up on the side screens. Let's read this together. You know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. So run to win. If you got your teaching outline out, you might want to circle that phrase, run to win. He says you've got to run to win. Paul says if you're going to go for it in life, go for the gold. He says I'm not just running for a place. I'm not just running for the fun of it. I'm not running to come in second. He says, I want to make my life count. I want to succeed. I want to win. I want to be at the top. I want to be the best that I possibly can be. And Paul says in the Christian life, you have to run to win. You've got to have a passion that your life would do something greater than what it is right now. And you see, the reality is, folks, that most people just kind of live mediocre lives. They really do. You know what they run for? They run to retire. They're running to retire. Their whole life, their whole goal in life is to get enough money that they can retire and veg out. And God did not put you on this earth to retire. He put you on this earth for a purpose and a reason. And He wants 
your life to count. Now, why in the world would anybody not want to win in life? Why do people not win in life? Well, one reason is because of guilt. Guilt. They say, I don't deserve to win. My past is too messy. I've flubbed up, messed up, and screwed up too much in life that there's no way that God really wants me to win in life. Other people don't want to win in life because of what other people say. Maybe somebody in your past came up to said and uh, said to you, you're never going to amount to anything. You're a loser. You know what the truth is, folks? God didn't create losers. He never created a loser in his life. He's only created winners. And other people who say those things, guess what? They're wrong. They're dead wrong. So if you've got an uncle or an aunt or a mom or a dad and they're always telling you you've never amounted to anything, bring them to me one time and I will stand right beside you and I will tell them, you're wrong. You're wrong. Other people cannot determine what you're going to be in life. You are the only one who is in control of your life. God gave you the freedom, and He wants you to win. Then there are some people that think they don't want to win because they think success means being selfish. I used to think that a lot in my life. I didn't want to be too big or too great because that seemed selfish. It seemed like it wasn't quite Christian-like. It didn't seem spiritual. Folks, did you know that God wants you to have success in your life? He really does. He's put you on this planet for a purpose, and He wants to do some amazing things in your life, and He wants you to succeed. He wants you to win. He wants you to do your very, very best in life. Because success, folks, is not about getting a whole bunch of money and then spending it on yourself. It's about finding your purpose in life and then saying, you know what? I am going to do whatever I can to make God's name made great. Let me just say this to some of you this morning. I greeted somebody and I said, hey, how's it going? They're saying, man, it's a tough week. I want to tell you this, for those of you who are there. Folks, you are able to do so incredibly much more than you could ever imagine. More than you could ever imagine doing, God wants to do in your life. And you say, well, how do you know that? That's a good pep talk, but uh, how do you know that? God's Word says this in Ephesians 3.20. It says, with God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we can ask or imagine. It's not your power. It's not your spouse's power. It's not how much money you make. It's God's power working in your life. And he says that that is a reminder for us to say that we can do anything. We can do absolutely anything. Through God's power. In fact, some of you might want to memorize that verse or keep it up somewhere that you can do imagine, more than you could ever imagine through God's power. Now, at the end of each of these kind of uh, successful points that we want to give you, I want to ask you a question um, for you to think about this next week. And here's the first question surrounding this idea of desire. And it says, why do I really want most in life? 
Don't ask me, Chris, what do you really want most in life? Okay, you ask yourself, what do you really want most in life? Take some time this week, 10 minutes, underneath the tree. Focus. What do you really want most in life? Because everything, folks, absolutely everything starts with desire. It really does. The only thing is that it starts with desire, but desire alone cannot get you to a successful life. And so you need a second thing. And the second thing you need for a successful life is direction. You need direction. It takes direction. I must focus on a goal. You've got to focus on a goal. Direction. Okay, let's read this next scripture together. It'll come up on the side screens. I run straight to the goal with the purpose in every step. I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. Now notice what Paul is saying here. He's saying that I don't run aimlessly in life. I don't just just go off and start running somewhere. He says, I have a purpose. I have a target. I have a goal. I have an objective. I have a desire. I have a direction in life that I want to go. I want to do something in my life. But he's not just saying something, but he's saying, I want to do something specific. Something specific that I'm headed in. He says, I'm not just playing around. I'm not shadow boxing. I'm not just playing air guitar. You ever have one of your friends that they think that's what they do every time? Like they're in some social setting where there's music that's playing, and they're like, play guitar, play guitar, play guitar, oh yeah. And you look at them like you're looking at me right now, and you're like, He's an idiot. Because when you play an air guitar, you're not playing a real guitar like this one right here. And Paul says that's why you need direction. The greatest air guitar player in the world, folks, will never be able to play a real guitar. And Paul says, if I want to play the guitar, I'm going to take guitar lessons. I'm going to learn the history of guitar. I'm going to get focused. It's all going to be about finding a direction and living that way. I'm going to go in a direction and live my life. But the sad thing is that most people never live their life with purpose. They just kind of play around in this thing called life. Most people never get very serious about God. Most people never get serious about their family. Most people don't get very serious about their marriage. Most people never get very serious about their kids. Most people never get very serious about life. And most people never get very serious about making contributions in this one and only life, folks. This is the only life you get. There are no do-overs. This is the only life you get. And most people don't get serious about making true contributions to the world around them. God wants to do that in your life. He really does. Many people live selfishly and with a sense of petty lives that are just mediocre. They never get serious. They just play around. They do what I call dabble. You ever hear that word before, dabble? It goes like this, right? Well, I'll dabble with this and I'll dabble with that and I'll dabble with that and I'll dabble with the other thing. 
Now, what I was dabbling with yesterday, I'm not going to dabble with today, but last year I was dabbling with this. But today, this is what I'm dabbling with. You know what that is? No direction. When you're dabbling, folks, you don't have direction. So you keep moving back and forth and back and forth. You're never going to get anywhere because you're just dabbling with way too many things. You know, this is the thing that I hear about people sometimes when they come in, they talk to me, and uh, they'll say this, they'll say, Pastor, I'm just coasting. You ever have people ever come up to you before and say that? They say, you know what, I'm just coasting in this area of my life. And I was thinking about it this week. You know what, if you're coasting, guess where you're going? Downhill. If you're coasting, you're going downhill. You don't coast going up a mountain, do you? No. You just don't do that. Proverbs 17.24 says this. It'll come up on the side screen. An intelligent person aims at wise action, but a fool starts off in many directions. Kind of sounds like a mother of preschoolers, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think about that. There's, moms parent differently, you know. And some moms, it's just like their kids are, you know, they're just off all over the place. And then you got some, you know, they kind of give some direction. And folks, if you want your life to count, you've got to settle on what is the direction of your life. You've got to know exactly what you want in life. Let's say after church I go to Bob Evans. Sounds like a pretty good idea, actually. Let's say after church I go to Bob Evans, and I go to Bob Evans, and I go in, and I, I, go in, I find my booth, and I sit down, and the server comes up to me, and they ask, they say, what do you want to eat today, sir? And I say, just bring me some food. Well, they might say, well, okay, we can, we can do that. We can take care of that, but... You know, is there a particular type of food that you would like? No, just bring me some food. And they're like, well, you know, they're getting irritated at this point a little bit. And they're like, no, 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 no. We understand you want food. There are 57 items of food on our menu. So if you'll just look at it and you'll be specific and you'll tell me just one item, I'll be able to bring it to you. No, just bring me some food. Now, what's the problem with me at that moment? I'm not specific. I'm not telling them exactly what I want. I'm just saying I want food. Now, let me ask you something. If you don't decide what direction you're going to do in life, who decides for you? It's not that hard. Other people. Right? If you don't decide what's really important in your life, other people will decide for you. Have you ever noticed that before? If you don't decide, someone else will decide for you. And you know what happens when you go through life without direction and you just allow other people to tell you which way to go? What happens to your life? It's a small little word. Stress. You get stressed out. Anyone acquainted with the word stress? Yeah. Like all of our hands, right? 
And you know why you get stressed? Because you don't have a direction. You're going so many different places, or you just allow other people to tell you which direction you're going to go. So you need to not only have desire, but you also have to have direction. You have to have a goal in your life. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Paul says this, I bring all of my energies to bear on this one thing. In other words, he says, I'm going to concentrate. I'm going to focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race. Okay, Paul says, if you want to have direction in your life, folks, you have to do two things. Here's the first one. He says, I forget the past. You might want to circle that part of that scripture. Because some of you haven't done that quite yet. I forget the past. I forget the past. Folks, you cannot live today and you cannot plan for tomorrow if you are always living in the past. Now, I realize that some of you have been hurt. You've been hurt really, really bad. And I'm not belittling that. I'm not making light of that. The only problem is, is that the human spirit has an ability, and you guys do too, to sometimes wallow in that hurt. You rehearse it over and over and over and over again in your, in your mind. For instance, if you keep telling yourself, I don't want to be like my mother, what are you focusing on? Your mother! You've got to change course. You've got to change direction. You're allowing other people to hurt you from your past. When you do that, that's called insanity. You allow other people in your past to continue to do that. Don't do that. That's a dumb thing to do. People from your past cannot hurt you without your permission. Your past is your past, and so you have to let it go. Now let me say this. If you cannot forget your past, if you just kind of get consumed by it, you probably need to get some help and to let it go. You might need to get a Christian counselor, and we can recommend those to you. But I would suggest that what you do is that you say, I'm going to start going to celebrate recovery on Thursdays. There's a big sign right there. We paid money for you to look at that sign. Some of you have never seen that sign, so everybody look, okay? Thursdays at 7. And many of you are going through hurts and habits and hang-ups, and you go through it your entire life. Some of you are going to die that way. I don't want you to, but I'm saying that's the best place where we find healing in our church. People go there with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. It's not just about uh, substance abuse, but any hurts that you're going through. And the whole point of Celebrate Recovery, folks, is to get people unstuck. The problem is we get hurt in life and we get stuck in a rut. And the, the whole focus of Celebrate Recovery is to get you unstuck. And some of you need unstuck. And it's a great time to do it now because you've got the kids back in school, you've got everything focused, we've got child care for it. You just come and be a part of it. Because if you're always living in your past, it's like this. If you're driving your car and you're always looking in your rearview mirror and all you do is focus on your rearview mirror, what's going to happen eventually? You're going to crash! 
You can't look in your past all the time. You've got to let it go. Now, I know that many of you have some hurts from your past that are major failures. A marriage, a relationship, a job, something you did, and you feel embarrassed about it. And if we were to take everything from everybody who's ever messed up, which is all of us, and we put that on the side screen, we'd all be embarrassed about it. And in your mind, you keep thinking to yourself, well, I had my chance, but I screwed it up, I messed it up, therefore I'm just going to have to take second best for the rest of my life. Where does it say that, folks? Where does it say that you have to settle for second best? It doesn't say it in this book. It's not there. You know what's in this book? Nothing about settling for second best. It's about giving second chances. That's the whole point of the Bible, is that it is a book filled with God saying, I'll give you a second chance. I'll give you a second chance. And for me, you know, it's been like 5,000 and 10,000 chances. And I'm so glad that I believe in a God who gives second chances to His people. He says, I don't want you to get stuck in the past. He said, in fact, this is what God wants to say to some of you. I really believe this this morning. God, God looks out at you and he says, I can forget your past. Why can't you? Did you realize God has amnesia? <laughs> Once we confess our sin and we say, and all of a sudden we want to keep bringing the past. He's like, what? I did that when you were 13 or 17 or 22 or 24. It's done. Let it go. The second thing Paul says is you have to press on. I look forward to what lies ahead. I look forward to what lies ahead. If you would, uh, there'll come a, uh, a... Yeah, there it is. Pull that out of your program right there. Looks like this. When you have it, let it fly. All right. Some of you, this past year, you went through something catastrophic. You went through a tragedy. Someone died in your life. And what you've done is kind of the American thing. I'm going to put, you know, my... Uh, suspenders on, I'm going to pull the bootstraps up, and I'm just going to keep on plugging along. And the reality is, though, that you have grief in your life that you are stuck in. And you know what grief share is all about? It's about getting you unstuck. And some people get stuck in their grief for decades. I remember a woman at the church I pastored before. She was 84 years old. Her husband died when she was 62. For 22 years, she was stuck in grief. You don't want to do that. So why not get unstuck? So if you're dealing with some real big hurt in your life, someone has died Tuesdays, starting September 4th, at Young's Title, 630, you can get healing. That's what Celebrate Recovery and Grief Share is about. It's about helping people get healed. So Paul says this. He says, forget the past and press on. Now here's the second question that you need to ask yourselves. Who is, what is the focus of my life? What is the focus 
of my life. Did you realize, you know, folks, whatever you focus on, that's what you're going to become. That's the direction you're going to go. Whatever you focus on, that's what you're going to be. So you choose your direction. You really do. Here's a third principle. If you want to make a success in your life, it takes discipline. It takes discipline. I must be willing to work. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 25, Paul says this. Let's read it together. All those who compete in the games use self-control so they can win. Now notice that the key word there is self-control. How many of you love self-control? Don't raise your hand. I'll call you a liar. I'll call you out right here. (laughs) Nobody likes self-control. No one likes self-denial. No one likes discipline that I know of. I mean, it's not like you wake up in the morning... You know, and you go to your coffee table or to the table, you get some coffee, and then you start meditating on, oh, I want self control. Oh, could I have some self denial? I want to deny my flesh today. People don't do that. I mean, you don't stand up and go, oh, I'm so excited. Today's going to be a day in which I'm just going to deny myself of everything. You don't do that. Discipline is what we need the most and what we want the least in our lives. It's what we need the most, but it's what we want the least in our lives. And yet, it is the thing that can take any ability and create achievement. So Paul says, I've got to deny some things in my life. Folks, I've never known anyone who has ever succeeded in life by just doing what they please. Because the difference between a successful person and an unsuccessful person is this. Successful people are willing to do things and develop habits that unsuccessful people aren't willing to do. They're not willing to pay the price. They're not willing to sacrifice. They're not willing to discipline themselves. You see, successful people are willing to do the things no one wants to do. They make the extra phone call. They work a little bit later. They study harder. And the list goes on and on. And it's simply about going the extra mile, going the extra distance. But it's going to take discipline. You see, many of us want beautiful bodies. We just don't want to exercise, right? We want wealth. We just don't want to work. We want success. We just don't want sacrifice. We want spiritual maturity, but we don't want to have to study or serve. And all of that, folks, is not possible. It's impossible without discipline. Now let me say this. If you're not serving somewhere here in the church, at least once a month, you're never going to reach your full potential. Because God wants you to serve in some way so that you learn how to give yourself away. And it helps your marriage. It helps your parenting. It helps everything. When you model that and you live out a life of serving others. That's why when we go to two celebrations, we're going to need all hands on deck. And some of you will just have to say, you know what? I want to do that. Because it's an opportunity for you to grow. Some of you need to get in a small group. If you're like, I'm I'm scared about small groups, I'm not so sure. That's why we're doing walk across the room upstairs with a big group of people. So that when we break up into small groups, 
that you'll be able to kind of say, hey, I, I think I can do this. I mean, there's a few weird people, but I don't have to choose their group. You know what I mean? Notice again in verse 25, Paul says this, all those who compete in the games, circle that word compete. You know what that Greek word compete means here? It is agonizomai. Agonizomai. Do you know what the English translation of that Greek word agonizomai is? Take a guess. Not that hard. Agonize. It's like that old saying, you know, no pain, no gain. For Chuck Mock, who runs our uh, Celebrate Recovery with a group of people, it's no row gain, you know? Is Chuck in here? Good. I'm so glad I was able to say it then, you know? Proverbs 13.4 says this, Lazy people want much but get little, while the disciplined are prospering. Folks, nobody becomes great by simply doing whatever he or she pleases. So the third question we have to ask ourselves is this, am I willing to pay the price? Am I willing to pay the price? You know, a lot of people have desire. A lot of people even get the direction right. But very few people are willing to be disciplined, to pay the price, to pay the time, to work the hard hours, to put the sweat equity in to develop the habits. But if you don't do it, you just won't be successful. Last thing. To be successful, it takes determination. It takes determination. I must never, ever give up. I must never, 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 never give up. Paul says this, I treat my body hard so that I will not be disqualified. He's saying I do whatever it takes to keep on keeping on. I'm going to stop in the middle. I'm not going to stop in the middle of the race. I'm not going to go halfway through. I'm going to make it to the finish line. I have got a life filled with determination. You know, folks, great people are just ordinary people with an extraordinary amount of determination. Let me say that again. Great people, folks, are just ordinary people, but they have extraordinary determination. They never quit. Here's the last scripture that we'll read together. It's in Hebrews. It'll come up on the side screen. Let's read it together. Let us run the race that is before us and never give up. We should remove from our lives anything that would get in the way and the sin that holds us back. Let us look only to Jesus. Think about his example. He held on while wicked people were doing evil things to him. So don't get tired and stop trying. In order to finish the race, Paul is saying here, there are some things that you have to let go of and some things that you have to hold on to. So you've got to let go and you've got to hold on to at the same time and you can't get those two things confused. You've got to let go of some stuff 
and you've got to hold on to others. First, he says, don't let anything hold you back from your spiritual progress. And here's our question. What is holding me back? When it comes to your spiritual life, folks, you ask the question, what is it that's holding me back? What is it that's keeping me from being all that God wants me to be? What is it that is stunning my spiritual growth? What is it that's holding me back? Now, for some of you, it's a habit. You've had a habit in your life. You've been doing it over and over and over again. And the habit continues on. And God wants you to change the habit. For others of you, it's friendship. You've got a friend who is Debbie Downer. Every time they're around, they just drag you down. They lead you the wrong way. You're tempted to, be, to do things that you wouldn't normally do, but they'll say things and all of a sudden you're kind of held that way. They're holding you back. For some of you, it's materialism. The desire to acquire. You just think, if I just had more stuff, more house, more things, that would make my life great. Folks, if you spend your whole life just trying to make an extra buck, and you don't have any time to do the things that God really intends for you to do, at the end of your life, your life isn't successful. So let me ask you this. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? Paul ends the metaphor in the Corinthian games by saying this. Everyone who competes in the games does it to get a crown that won't last. How many of you remember any of the Olympic winners from, uh, winners from four years ago? All of them. How many of you remember all the winners? You don't know. How many of you remember all the winners from four weeks ago? Yeah, like nobody. But why do we run? We run for something that's going to outlast our life. And he's talking about the Christian life here. He says, these things aren't worth spending your whole life for. Awards, salaries, perks, and fame. Why? Because he doesn't think those things are good. They just don't last. In the Olympics, you know, the award that they gave to him was an actual uh, wreath made out of olive branches. And as soon as they made it, guess what it started doing? Withering. Withering away. And so Paul says, you want to work for a crown that is going to be forever. You've got to have determination. You know, one of the greatest examples that I ever saw of this concept of determination happened in the Barcelona games back in 1992. Derek Redmond was an English runner who was a 400-meter dash runner. He, they thought that he would definitely at least medal. And he got in the semifinal race, and as he's getting ready to take off, he is right in second place. And he gets halfway around there, and uh, his hamstring pulls. And let's see what happens. Derek Redmond, the best form he's shown since he broke the British record. Derek Redmond didn't finish in first place in the 1992 400 meter. Redmond has broken down. He didn't finish in second, or third, or fourth. He 
and his father finished dead last. The old man went to put his arms around me and I was just about to try and push him off because I thought it was someone else. I didn't see if he sort of jogged from behind. But he and his father finished. He had to finish, and I was there to help him finish. I intended to go over the line with him. We started uh, together. I think we should finish it together. How many of you remember that Olympic moment? Can any of you tell me who won the 400-meter dash this year? Probably not. I don't know if you saw it, but in the, the text there, it, it said this. It said that his father said these words. He said, we started this race together. We'll finish it together. And out of the stands comes his father and Derek says when he first came out and he put his arm around him to try to help him, he kind of pushed his dad aside. And then all of the training, all of the stuff that he had done just kind of broke free. And you see him just bawling and crying because he knew that his dream was done. And they crossed the finish line together. And I was listening to an interview this week about Derek and he said, you know, on the day of, I didn't think too much of it that my dad left the stands to do that. But he said, now, how much I realized I needed my father. Folks, life is tough alone. It was never meant to be easy. And you can't do it by yourself. You need someone who will come out of the stands and help you cross the finish line. And there is one who will do that. One who will cross the actual cosmos, who left heaven to come to earth so that you don't have to run alone. And he, like nobody else, understands. You see, nobody understood what Derek was going through except his dad because his dad helped him train for four years. And nobody in this world knows what you're going through like your heavenly father. He will never let you go. So never give up on him. Let's stand for closing prayer. And if you would, uh, as we kind of get on track, that you guys would just kind of pray uh, this prayer silently. Uh, in your mind, your prayer. Dear God, I realize you made me for a purpose. You have a race for me to run. And it is my desire to run it the way you want. So today I'm asking you for direction. Jesus Christ, I don't understand it all, but as far as I do understand, lead me to where you want me to go. Give me the discipline that I need to run this race in life. 
and help me to let go of the things that hold me back from this progress. Help me not to get discouraged when things don't go the way I want them to. Help me to keep my eyes focused on you, knowing that the reward 